Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Jared. It's great to be with you. It is awesome coming here, worshiping. Thanks, worship team, once again. It is just such a privilege to come together and really surrender our troubles and, and just seek God's leading in everything that we do. We are, uh, oh yeah, by the way, Fusion class is starting right now. So if you are grade 7 through 12, make your way right there to the right for a great conversation. It's my privilege to share week four in our five-week series on Jonah. And so maybe you missed a few weeks. I'll recap it real quick. So in chapter one, God comes to Jonah, says, I want to use you as my messenger. I want you to go to the city of Nineveh and deliver that message to them. Jonah politely says, no, thank you, God, and goes in the opposite direction. He aboards a ship, trying to distance himself as far as he can from the city of Nineveh. God sends a storm. God has a way of getting our attention. They throw Jonah overboard. He is now in the depths of the ocean, and God sends this great fish to save Jonah, swallows him up, and that's how chapter one ends. Now, I have never been in the belly of a great fish, but if I was and I was alive, you better bet I'd be calling out to God saying, God, I need you. God, help me. And that's what Jonah does. It's an amazing prayer. And then in, in, at the end of chapter two, Jonah gets spits up after three days of uh, being in the belly of the great fish, and now he's making his way to Nineveh. So chapter three starts, Jonah gets this second chance, because we all need second chances in life, right? When you think about all the times you let God down and you needed a second chance, that's where Jonah is at this moment. He delivers the message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. There's 120,000 people, roughly the population of Nineveh at this time, and they respond in repentance, meaning they want to turn from their evil, wicked ways, and they want to turn to God. And this is a huge thing. God's grace and mercy falls upon this great city of 120,000 people. And now, as we transition now into chapter 4, you're thinking, wow, this is going to be an amazing chapter. The whole city's going to come together. It's probably going to be this huge festival. They're all cheering, worshiping, and praising God for his grace and mercy. But no, that is not, it has nothing to do with chapter 4. As a matter of fact, the title of today's message is this, for Jonah, aren't you embarrassed? Because we are going to look at Jonah's response to that. And what he does is he throws a temper tantrum. Now, if all you have to do is remember back when you were little, or parents, your children. But our parents had to break us of it, and parents of today have to break their children. Because when you tell your child to do something, they say no. Sometimes they act out in that. And it's a temper tantrum. But Jonah's not the only adult to do this. In, in, the, in major league sports, it's all over the place. And I can remember I was actually watching this game live. It was 1985. I was 15 years old. The Indiana Hoosiers basketball team, college basketball team, was playing Purdue. Bobby Knight was an incredible coach. He led the Indiana Hoosiers to three national championships, and that was something unique from that from that school, so the, he, he's remarkable when it comes to coaching, but what he's best known for is the temper tantrum that he threw during a game. So during a game, he's barking at the official, they tee him up, he did not like that. He's on the court, he's on the sideline, he's pacing, you can tell he's about ready to burst, that was Bobby Knight. So he grabbed this chair and he chucked it across the basketball court, all the way to the other side. 
And it's interesting that the fans there love Bobby Knight, so they're chanting, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. (laughs) But he had this moment of weakness, and I think many people, because this got national news as it should, remember him for that temper tantrum than his achievement as a coach there in the university. And then I also remember my dad introduced me to the game of tennis. I loved it. That's what I started to excel in in my like teen years and late teen years. And I remember I was only about 10 years old watching on our 15-inch black and white TV, John McEnroe. And he is just barking at the chair umpire. That's the person that's elevated on the court. And they got that nice little umbrella. We're going to come back to that at the end of the message, shading them. And he is just barking, barking. Anytime he, it didn't go his way, he just kind of stopped the match and just threw a temper tantrum. And again, as we look at Jonah, missionary of God, and his reaction, and it's all because his plans were different than God's plans. And we're going to see this. So what we're going to do is we're going to read through all 11 verses. There's only 11 verses in chapter 4, and then we're going to unpack this with three points. So let's read Jonah chapter 4 together. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this, Jonah? It goes on. Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. He wants to watch it be destroyed. That's his heart there. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. There it is again. He's so uncomfortable, he wants to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. This is how Jonah ends up, 9 through 11. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted. Even angry enough to die? Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant. Though you did nothing to put it there, it came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? So here's point number one. It's embarrassing when your attitude toward God gets exposed. Jonah's attitude towards God and towards the people of Nineveh is getting exposed here. And so let's look at that again. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So back to chapter 1. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go and preach a message to the city of Nineveh and allow people to be forgiven of their sins. Remember, this 
The, the Ninevites were very hostile towards the Israelites. Jonah knew all the experiences for generations of how just evil and wicked and all the harm they put and caused on the Israelites. And so I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. Like there there's, could be a frustration there, but not to the point of keeping them separated from God. His heart is completely hardened. He doesn't want them to be saved. He doesn't want to be a part of God's plans of going. His plans was to distance himself as far away from Nineveh, not to deliver the message. Because why? Because he knew. I knew you would do this. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. So Jonah had his plans that did not align with God's plans. Now, it's very easy for us to sit here and look at this and go, yeah, Jonah, man, boy, did you make some mistakes here and really excluding chapter two, all the rest of the chapters, and there's only four chapters. But to be honest to ourselves, how can we relate to Jonah here? How can we relate to the Jonah that says no to God, that God asks us to do something, or God has plans for us, and we say, no, God, I really don't like those plans I'm going to do a Jonah thing here. I'm going to you know, try to distance myself. I'm not comfortable doing that, God. When you think about all the relationships that God has blessed us with, are you following God's plans in your relationships? Are you following God's plans in your singleness? Are you following God's plans that he wants for you to experience in your marriage? Are there certain relationships that have fallen apart? Well, God is a God who reconciles. Does he want you to reconcile some of those relationships? But it's not just about relationships. It's all aspects. God has plans for all of us in everything that we do. I think a lot of people say no to God with their finances. God has plans. He's given you so much. He's given me so much. Are we cheerful and generous back to God with our finances? Do we say no, God? I remember my father-in-law telling me this. There's certain people sitting at church that think they can't afford to give. Well, God's word says you can't afford not to give because God is so generous to you and he wants you to be generous. And one of the ways you experience generosity is by giving back to God. And then I think of that charge, the great commission, go and make disciples. And I think for many, many people, they hear that. It, it's intimidating. I, I'm not equipped enough. I don't know enough. And we all say this, and even I remember listening to a message about discipleship after I, in my year, early years of coming to faith, and I said, I'll leave that to somebody else. I'll say, no, God. I'll let somebody else do that. There's many areas in our lives in that we don't align our plans with God's plans. And my hope is that we see that what Jonah's doing here is not aligning his plans with God's plans. He's got his own plans, and he does not want to live out God's plans. And when we do that, and we're guilty of this as well, we are in a bad place. And my hope is that we would align our plans with God's plans for us. And that's the first point. And here's the second point. It's embarrassing how little we understand God's mercy Jonah is really struggling extending this mercy and grace to the Ninevites. And we see this after 
Jonah says, I'd rather be dead. I'd rather be dead than alive. I'd rather be dead than watch these people come to faith. And here's God's response. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Is this what you're angry about? That I was merciful to these these people who so desperately needed me, Jonah. And you're angry about that? Like in week one, Eric taught in West Haven, and he said, Jonah's about the worst godly missionary that's in Scripture. (laughs) Like it's all about introducing people to Jesus and people coming to faith, and it's happened, and now he's mad to the point that he wants to die. And the reason why he's got just this unhealthy view and perspective is because Jonah has drawn this line And he believes the Ninevites, because of their evilness, because of their wickedness, are outside of God's mercy because they've done so many harmful and bad things. But you know, the truth is so encouraging because being in a relationship with God has nothing to do with badness or goodness. Bad people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven because we're all bad at times. We all have experiences where we're good at times. But Jonah cannot get past this. He's put them outside of God's mercy because of their sinful nature and their wicked ways. And again, he would rather die than watch them come to faith and be forgiven of their sins. Now, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 20. He takes this opportunity to, to understand how no one is outside of God's mercy that there's a thing that we all have in common, that none of us deserve it, but he grants his grace and mercy to us. And he uses this parable, this story. In Matthew 20, verses 1 and 2, he starts off by saying, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. Then the landowner again at 9 a.m., goes out into the city, city, finds more workers, and says, go work in my vineyard. He does it again at noon. He does it again at 3 p.m. He does it again at 5 p.m. And then as evening came, he tells the foreman, invite the workers back. We need to pay them. And they start paying the ones who started last, the 5 p.m. crew. And it's interesting because all the other workers are there, and he sees the foreman give them a full day's wage to the five o'clock crew that only worked a few hours. And so right then and there, they're all thinking, okay, we're going to make more money. Man, we're going to get a great bonus today because if, if he's paying a full day's wage for the 5 p.m. guys and we work from the morning, this is going to be really great. But the foreman gives everyone the same daily wage. And they start to complain about it. Wait. Why are we getting the same wage as the people who started hours after us? That's not fair. And there's how Jesus replies in his parable, telling the story. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? I mean, we can kind of look at this parable, this story, and go, yeah, well, Jesus, is, is that really fair? But that's what, that's what God's getting at here, is that, you know, 
You can take this young person who came to faith at an early age, and they lived a life that's honoring to God throughout their entire life, being used by God. And then you can take that person, a little bit on the gray side like myself, who's getting close to the finish line of end of life. Now, hopefully I have plenty more, and I don't want to insult any because there's people that are a little bit grayer than me in this room. And at that last moment, within just seconds of dying, if they put their faith and trust in Jesus, these two people end up in the same place. The person that lived a life that was honoring God and the person just who had for seconds accepted Jesus Christ. And it's because of God's grace and mercy. There's nothing dependent upon us in this. It's not how good you are or how bad you are. It's whether you are, have put your faith and trust by believing in the merciful and gracious God. And Jonah just can't get there. He just can't get there for this, for the people, the city of Nineveh. And he's struggling with this. But it's important to understand, you can think of the worst, most evil person that you can think of. You think of all the serial killers, you think of Hitler, you think of all the, the just the people who cause destruction and death in this world. If they turn to God, he's going to be right there to receive them. You're right, this, this relationship's not fair, but it's not fair to God. But luckily for us, we're all on the same playing field. And God has done everything. God has done everything to allow us to be in a relationship with him. It's a beautiful relationship. It's the greatest love story there is. Here's the third point. It's embarrassing how we care more about our own comfort than people. It is so interesting how chapter four ends. And it has everything to do with the comfort, although God is sending a message to Jonah through this comfort and discomfort. And he's giving him another chance. He's giving him Jonah a second chance to the second chance. And he's hoping, God is hoping, that Jonah might have a change of heart, that his response would be different. Now, we've already read it. We know that doesn't happen, but let's read it again. Jonah 4, 5, and 6, it says, Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there, and soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort. And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So we see God caring for Jonah. Even though he has a rotten attitude, a rotten heart, you see God's provision here. He's still a child of his, and he's still providing. He gives them shade, and that eases his discomfort. But then God is also give, going to give him a test. He said, but God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. So yes, he gave Jonah a second opportunity to maybe respond in a different way, but Jonah responds in the same way. I'd rather be death because death is certainly better than being uncomfortable in this heat, living like this, he exclaimed. And so this last point has everything to do with comfort. And I'll have to admit, I have a very comfortable life. 
Most of us in this room have a very comfortable life. We're so comfortable right now, it's a full room. I can hear the AC going. It was getting a little bit too warm, so the AC kicked on to make us more comfortable. That's a great picture of kind of the Christian church of today, I believe, because we've kind of made it about a, a church service, maybe. There's a lot of consumerism when it comes to churches of today, and I think maybe we're just a little bit too comfortable. And I'll say this. God usually wants to do his best work in us when we're uncomfortable, when we step out of this state of comfort and step into a place of uncertainty, of not knowing where we need him. A little bit like Jonah in, in, in week two, he needed God. There was nothing that was going to, he through his own wisdom, through his own power, was going to get him out of the belly of that fish, but he needed God. And when we step into these environments where it's uncomfortable, that's where God does most of his work in and through us. That's James. Consider it pure joy when you face trials, these challenges of life. Understand that I am doing a work in and through you. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. But so many of us in today's day and age need to get out of our comfort zone at church because God has plans. God has plans for you. God has plans for Alpine Church. He has plans for all the Christian churches that are right now worshiping him throughout our country. He has great plans. And are we aligning our plans, our will, with God's will for us and God's plans for us? And what that's going to take is for us to get out of our comfort zone and experience some things that might be a little bit challenging What God is doing here, he's giving Jonah just a little hint, a little taste of his wrath with that scorching heat and wind. And what he did is he spared Nineveh of that, but now he's given Jonah just a taste. Jonah, I want you to be a little bit discomforted here because this is my wrath. And man, if I would have destroyed Nineveh, it would have been much worse than this. But that's not what happened. And what God wants to do is he wants to use us I love how this chapter four kind of ends. It says, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died again? He's asking Jonah these questions, giving him a response to change his heart. Jonah said, yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. There it is again. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there? It came quickly and died quickly. But here's what's so important here, God's message to Jonah. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Jonah just didn't get it. But amen, we serve a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger, allowing and, and, and flourishing with his grace and mercy because he cares far more about people far more about people than comfort. What's your response when you say, God, get me out of my comfort zone, use me in a way that's going to reach people? Or are you saying, God, I love my comfort zone here. I'm protected in my little Christian bubble. It feels wonderful. Don't test me. Don't challenge me. What's your response going to be? Is your response going to be like Jonah where he says, no, God, I don't like your plan. That, that's intimidating to me. I want to stay comfortable. Are you willing and wanting to say, you know what, 
I want to step out in this discomfort, God. Use me. I'll be your messenger. Because again, it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. It's the message that has the impact and the power to change lives. The messenger is just the vessel who brings that message to somebody. And yet Jonah couldn't stand that. Don't be Jonah. Be saying, God, I, I love you. I know that you have plans for me. I want to align my plans with your plans and use me. Look, we got a great opportunity coming up. And it's really simple. It's a simple invite. Yes, the location exists for people to come to the location. But why do we do the harvest party? We do the harvest party to be invitational so people can come experience Alpine Church outside of a church service. And maybe when they need God and they know they've been to a place that talks about God and teaches about God and when they come seeking and they need comfort, then they know where to turn. And they might just walk through the thresholds of those doors. And it is as simple as taking an invite card. I wish I had one. And saying, hey, if you're not busy, come check it out. Bring your kids. It's a great time. They'll enjoy it. Christmas Eve services are coming up. Great opportunity to hear it again. The Savior of the world is born into the world. We have a Discover in a few weeks about communicating our mission and our values and all the details. Tracy shared about that in the welcome. If you want to partner with us, because we are about helping people pursue God. And we want to lock arms with everyone in this room and everyone that calls Alpine Church Layton Campus their home and reach this community because God's heart breaks for the people in this community that don't know him. And he wants to use you as a vessel to point people to him. And my hope is that you say, yeah, I am on board with that. Let's, let's, as a church, let's get out there. Let's get to work. Let's point people to Jesus. That's my hope, is that we would respond with a heart that aligns with Jonah. Sorry, aligns with God, not Jonah. <laughs> so if you leave here wanting to die, come talk to me after the service. I got, a few, I got some words for you. And I'll, I'll be loving. I'll be very loving. But let's get to work. Jesus had compassion. He said, man, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. I'm hoping that's not the case for us in our lifetime and our generation, that we have an impact, that we can really make an impact in the state of Utah, in the county of Davis. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for you. Thank you for leaving your comfort in heaven, coming into this broken world for us, because we matter to you. Thank you for your love. Again, we are undeserving. But because of your amazing, unfailing love, you came and gave your life so in return we could receive life. And we know it's not just about this life, that you have a home, an eternal place for us, Lord, that you promise and remain faithful in all your promises for all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus that we're going to spend eternity with you. When we have an opportunity to invite more and more people into that eternal promise that you have given us. My heart, Lord, is that we would have compassion on those people. Not hardened hearts like Jonah with the Ninevites, but hearts that want to reach people so that they would know you to come to know you. You've done everything to make it possible, Lord, and we're grateful for that. I pray that our hearts would break for those people. Use us in an amazing, mighty way, Jesus. And I pray that you would give encouragement to those who are 
still just kind of doubting or like, how am I going to do this? I'm not sure if I'm qualified and all those details. Lord, again, Jonah made it about him in this story. It's not about him. It's about you. So I pray that we would put ourselves aside and just allow you to work. And we would base everything that we own on stuff that we do know, Lord, and we know that you love us. We know that you went to the cross and died for us, Lord. That's what they need to hear. So help us where we need help. Give us the strength. Give us the boldness, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And we worship you here today. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.